And Allah will also ask, and who came to your aid? And you are presented with a people in distress. You need them as much, if not more, than they need you. What does it mean to actually be the answer to someone's prayer? How beautiful is it when that person raises their hands to the skies for you? No barrier between them and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and then you meet them on the day of judgment. We're listening to Mesut Curtis and Ali Makrebi Makrebi Sali Mustafa on YouTube. Welcome into the show at 10.17 p.m. Hmm. It's 10.17 p.m. Tuesday, December the 8th, 2020. So, we've survived 100% of all the worst days so far so (laughs) I just had to shout us shout us out because that was uh, that was something that nobody could dream we could never dream 2020 but it happened oh We have to celebrate the last four years are almost done. In just about, what, two, three weeks? Four weeks at the most? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. About four, maybe five weeks. And we'll have a, we can put diaper down in the wind. It's a YouTube video, Mesut, M-E-S-U-T, Curtis, K-U-R-T-I-S, and Ali, A-L-I, Makrebi, M-A-G, 
R E B I Awakening music. They have 10 million plus subscribers. About 10 and a half million. I understand why the music is good. Mahir Sign is next. Yanabi Salam Aleika. Chill time.
turned out to be a beautiful video you could see this the outer outer space the planets and the astronauts <sighs> such calm relaxing music Mahir Sign Sammy Youssef now this new one. That's the first time I heard the other one. Oh. Maulaya. Maulaya. Is coming up next with. Mahirzai. And it's all in Arabic. Malaya.
Oh, I wanted to welcome into the show Saudi Arabia and all the entire world and the people that have listened to the companion show. Get your last chat on with Suyang. And now are listening to this show. An even bigger fly on the wall. Thank you for your support. Welcome in to the Global Family Village. Where nobody can separate us. Nothing can separate us.
Very good. <laughs> well done. KTLA in Los Angeles. Channel 5. Six hours ago. Had an updated report, the Trump administration dove back into Capitol Hill, into Capitol Hill's confusing COVID-19 negotiations on Tuesday, offering a $916 billion package to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi that would send a $600 direct payment to most Americans but eliminate a $300 per week employment benefit favored by a bipartisan group of Senate negotiators. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin made the effort, the offer to Pelosi late Tuesday afternoon, he said in a statement. He offered few details, though House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy said it proposes the $600 direct payment for individuals and $1,200 for couples, which is half the payment delivered by the March pandemic relief bill. Mnuchin reached out to Pelosi after a call with top congressional GOP leaders, including Senate Majority Leader, McConnell, who remains at odds with Democratic leaders over COVID-19 relief, Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, Democrat New York, responded to Mnuchin's entreaty with a statement that said they would prefer to let a bipartisan group take the lead. The bipartisan group, led by Democratic Senator Joe Man Manchin of West Virginia and GOP Senators Susan Collins of Maine and Lisa Murkowski of Alaska among others, is seeking to rally lawmakers in both parties behind a $908 billion 
$300 framework that includes a $300 per week pandemic jobless benefit and a $160 billion for states and local governments. It is more generous than a GOP plan that's been filibustered twice already, but far smaller than a wish list assembled by House Democrats. And this goes on for another, who knows, another 10 or more paragraphs. But the bottom line is, the last paragraph says, quote, contrary to the majority leader's dire predictions, there has been no flood of COVID lawsuits. In fact, quite the opposite, says Schumer. Far from the pandemic of lawsuits, there's barely been a trickle. People are dying, we're leaving, we're losing our family and friends. And that's what why they won't help the the households because they're afraid that the business owners might get a lawsuit. It just boggles the mind. It really it's really insane. Wow. Okay, let's try for the video that is going to work. Congress is looking to wrap up its work for the year by Friday, but lawmakers have to address two huge issues before leaving the Capitol, COVID relief and avoiding another government shutdown. KTLA Vice Trevor Shirley has more now from Washington, D.C., and neither of those is going to be an easy lift for Congress, especially because they've waited until the last minute to get much of this work done. The top priority is going to be passing an annual spending bill. That has to happen by December 11th. Otherwise, the government won't be funded and we'll find ourselves dealing with another government shutdown. In terms of coronavirus relief, that's also something Congress needs to tackle. And it looks like both sides are getting closer to an agreement on a package of just over $900 billion, with money for testing, vaccine distribution, and billions of dollars to help state and local governments. It's also something the president says he would likely sign. There's also the defense bill to fund the military, which has to get passed too, and it looks like Congress will vote on that Tuesday or Wednesday. The president, however, said he would veto that because part of it orders military bases named after Confederate leaders to be renamed. But Congress would likely override his veto, so the question is whether the president wants one of his final acts in office to be overruled by Congress. And again, a very busy week here in Washington. A lot of work for Congress to get done and not much time to do it. Reporting in Washington, I'm Trevor Shirley, KTLA 5. Can you imagine if the rest of us did our job like they do theirs? 
we would be fired right away. Oh my goodness. Oh well. It's the way the world it's how the world turns. It's just incredible. Just incredible. Let's find Logan Alec CPA. He has uh, most of the time he has daily updates on the stimulus stimulus package negotiations give him a, a chance to explain <laughs> he's really he's really frustrated with the Congress was there one minute and gone the next news today folks but there are actually multiple stimulus updates today i'm not just blowing smoke from <laughs> clicks and views in my update this morning i told you that rumor has it that senate majority leader mitch mcconnell is warming up to the idea of more stimulus checks in the next COVID relief bill in my second video today <laughs> i told you that rumor has it that the White House is pushing for $600 stimulus checks. And just now, Secretary of the Treasury, Stephen Mnuchin, released a statement saying that today at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, he presented to Nancy Pelosi a new stimulus proposal to the tune of $916 billion. In this statement, Mnuchin said that President Trump has reviewed this thing. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has reviewed this thing. Uh, top House Republican Kevin McCarthy has reviewed this thing, and Mark Meadows too, but he's not as important, right? And get this, Bloomberg is reporting, now Mnuchin didn't say this in a statement, but Bloomberg is reporting that there are $600 stimulus checks in this new Mnuchin proposal, but they had to take something very important out <laughs> in order to put those stimulus checks in. Can you guess what it is? You might be able to guess. I'll tell you later in this video when we look at the Bloomberg piece, but now let's look at the statement itself. So here's the statement from Steve. 
So Speaker Pelosi and I spoke at 5 p.m. today, and on behalf of the President, I presented a 916, what happened there, billion-dollar proposal, which is a slightly larger package than the bipartisan proposal of 908 billion. This proposal includes money for state and local governments and robust liability protections for businesses, schools, and universities. As part of this proposal, we will fund it using 140 billion in unused funds from the PPP and 429 billion in Treasury funds. So that's the money uh, that the Fed, right? So they'd put back into the Treasury, right? When Mnuchin requested it. Uh, the, the lending facility money. Chief Meadows and I have reviewed this proposal with the President, Leader McConnell, Leader McCarthy. I look forward to achieving bipartisan agreement so we can provide this critical economic relief to American workers, families, and businesses. I mean, this is huge, right? He's saying that basically the White House is on board, uh, Senate Republicans are on board, and House Republicans are on board, right? And he's given this to Pelosi. Uh, before we talk about the stimulus check thing, look what Mnuchin says in the statement is included here. Money for state and local governments and robust liability protections for businesses, schools, and universities. Now, this is interesting, because just earlier today, Mitch McConnell said, hey, we should just throw out liability protection and state and local government funding here, uh, you know, and just and, and deal with that later, right? And and that was kind of shocking, right? Um, Problem Solvers Caucus said, uh, heck no, McConnell, what the heck are you thinking? Uh, let's not do that. How about no? But then you have a statement from Mnuchin saying that McConnell's apparently on board with this new proposal. Uh, that includes state and local government money and uh, liability protection, right? So that's all Mnuchin said in the statement, okay? So that's the primary source, right? However, Bloomberg, which is a, a what I found to be a fairly accurate source of information around the stimulus stuff, let's look what they said about this new proposal. They're saying, they're saying the Mnuchin plan includes stimulus checks, $600 per qualifying adult, another $600 per child. And they're sourcing this not to some anonymous source, but to top House Republican Kevin McCarthy. However, however, this is the bad news. Bloomberg is saying these checks would be in place of $300 a week unemployment. Mm. Okay? It says this, those, these checks would be in place with a $300 a week temporary supplementary unemployment benefits included in the bipartisan proposal. However, they say it does extend, okay, the PEPUA and the PEUC, but it takes out, right, it doesn't include supercharged unemployment to $300 a week. Is this trade-off worth it, right? I guess it depends if you're unemployed or not, right? Because hmm. uh, if you're unemployed, you would obviously want $300 a week. I don't know what's going on with my computer here. Because if you're unemployed, you would obviously want $300 a week, right, for four months over a one-time 600, right? But I guess if you're not on unemployment, uh, you'd rather get something rather than nothing, right? So it's very interesting what the Republicans are doing here. And this is kind of consistent with the Republican mantra, right? That they, you know, the unemployment, it, it encourages people not to go, go back to work, right? That's what they've said kind of off and on throughout this whole thing, right? So they'd rather put the stimulus check in there than that $300 weekly unemployment. Right, uh, so that's interesting. Let's go back to the Bloomberg article. Okay, it says uh, 160 billion for aid to st state and local government. Right, so that's the same as as the 908 billion dollar proposal. Another 100 billion for education funding. Um, okay, and here's the, here's the interesting thing. Representative Hakeem Jeffries, right, who some were saying should replace uh, Pelosi as Speaker of the House called Mnuchin's move a step in the right direction and said, I think this plane, sorry, I'm not sure what's going on my computer, I think this plane is going to get landed. Hmm. However, Senate Democratic Leader Chuck Schumer said earlier today that Democrats view stimulus checks as needed to be added to the $908 billion package and not replace other elements, right? Problem is, 
by this kind of Schumer schema, yeah, Mnuchin put the stimulus checks back in, but he took out another essential element, the unemployment. Okay, so it's kind of weird. We have Hakeem Jeffries, right, who is a somewhat prominent member of, of the House from the Democratic side, kind of supporting Mnuchin's proposal here. But then we have Chuck Schumer, the chief Senate Democrat, right, uh, based on his words this morning, probably not being comfortable with this thing. All right, folks, so let me know in the comments, which proposal do you like better? Mnuchin's new $916 billion proposal or the, uh, the bipartisan $908 billion proposal that we've been talking about for the past week. Let me know in the comments which one you think is better. I know we don't have a lot of Mnuchin's proposal right now. We basically just have the Bloomberg article, uh, and that's pretty much it. Thank you so much for watching, folks, and I'll see you in the next video. Bye-bye. most the most interesting part about that is they have to know <laughs> they have to know that people can barely scrape by now oh listen to biden 19 and counting last week covid-19 was the number one cause of death in america for black latino and native americans we're nearly three times as likely to die from it. COVID-19 is a mass casualty. Hmm. For families and friends left behind, it's a gaping hole in your heart that will never be fully healed. As a country, we've been living with this pandemic for so long, hmm. we're at risk of becoming numb to its toll on all of us. Yep. You know, we're, uh, we're resigned to feel that there's nothing... Uh, we can do. We can't trust one another. That we must accept death, pain, and sorrow. Mm -hmm. We're in the midst of this deadly pandemic that has infected almost 15 million Americans. One out of every 22 people in our country, often with devastating consequences of health. And at this very moment, what is the outgoing administration asking the Supreme Court to do in the United States Supreme Court? to repeal the entirety of the Affordable Care Act when we need it most. A law that's on the front lines against the pandemic protects more than 100 million Americans who live with pre-existing conditions, which will increase now, including those with lung scarring and heart damage as a consequence of COVID-19. It provides coverage for more than 20 million Americans who get the care they need if they're showing symptoms COVID-19. The law that fulfills our moral obligation here in America, health care is a right for all, not a privilege for a few. But as all of you know, I know that out of our collective pain, we're going to find a collective purpose to control the pandemic, to save lives, and to heal as a nation. Today, I'm pleased to announce a team that is going to do just that. It's a team of world-class experts at the top of their fields, crisis-tested, defined by a deep sense of duty, honor, and patriotism. They're already ready to jump in. They've been advising me, many of them, for a long time. And they're going to be ready on day one to spare not a single effort 
to get this pandemic under control so we can get back to work, get back to our lives, get back to our loved ones. They'll lead the COVID-19 response across the government to accelerate testing, fix our supply chain, and distribute the vaccine. They'll work with my economic team because controlling the pandemic, delivering better health care, and reviving the economy go hand in hand. They'll work with my foreign policy and national security teams because we can't only beat the virus here at home. It must be beaten everywhere or it comes back to haunt us again. Today, I'm announcing that in consultation with Dr. Tony Fauci, we developed the first three objectives of the new initiative that I'm asking this team to complete once I'm sworn in in our first 100 days in office. My first 100 days won't end the COVID-19 virus. I can't promise that. But, but we did not get into this mess quickly. We're not going to get out of it quickly. It's going to take some time. But I'm absolutely convinced that in 100 days, we can change the course of the disease and change life in America for the better. First, my first 100 days is going to require, I'm going to ask for a masking plan. Everyone for the first 100 days of my administration to wear a mask. It will start with my signing an order on day one to require masks where I can under the law, like federal buildings, interstate travel on planes, trains, and buses. I'll also be working with the governors and mayors to do the same in their states and their cities. We're going to require masks wherever possible. But this goes beyond government action. And so, as a new president, I'm going to speak directly to the American people and say what I'm saying now. We need your help. Wear a mask for just 100 days. It's the easiest thing you can do to reduce COVID cases, hospitalizations, and death. Help yourself, your family, and your community. Whatever your politics or point of view, mask up for 100 days once we take office. 100 days to make a difference. It's not a political statement. It's a patriotic act. It won't be the end of our efforts. But it's a necessary and easy beginning, an easy start. Secondly, this team, this team will help get at the latest, at the last 100 million COVID-19 vaccine, at least 100 million COVID vaccine shots into the arms of the American people in the first 100 days. 100 million shots in the first 100 days. And we'll follow the guidance of science to get the vaccines to those most at risk. That includes healthcare professionals, people in long-term care, and as soon as possible, we'll include educators. This will be the most efficient mass vaccination plan in U.S. history. I credit everyone who's gotten up to, we've, has gotten us up to this point. But developing a vaccine is only one Herculean task. Distributing it is another Herculean task. You know, and vaccines in a vial only work if they're injected into an arm of people, especially those most at risk. This would be one of the hardest, the most costly operational challenges in our nation's history. We're going to need Congress to fully fund vaccine distribution to all corners of the country, to everyone. I'm encouraged by the bipartisan efforts in Congress around a $900 billion economic relief package 
which I've said is critical. But this package is only a start for more action early next year. We must also focus significant resources on direct public health response to COVID-19. Our preliminary view of Trump administration's vaccine distribution plans confirms media reports. Without urgent action by this Congress this month to put sufficient resources into vaccine distribution and manufacturing, which the bipartisan group is working on, there's a real chance that after an early round of vaccinations, the effort will slow and stall. Let me repeat, we need Congress to finish the bipartisan work underway now, or millions of Americans may wait months longer to get the vaccine. Months longer than they otherwise would have to get, wait to get the vaccine, vaccination. Look, and then we're going to need additional action next year to fund the rest of the distribution efforts. We also need the Trump administration to act now, though, to purchase the doses it has negotiated with Pfizer and Moderna and to work swiftly to scale manufacturing to U.S. populations and the world. This can be fixed. If it does, if it is fixed, my team will be able to get at least 100 million vaccinations done in my first 100 days. The third thing I'm going to ask in the 100 days, it should be a national priority to get our kids back into school and keep them in school. If Congress provides the funding we need to protect students, educators, and staff, if states and cities put strong public health measures in place that we all follow, then my team will work to see that a majority of our schools can be open by the end of my first 100 days. That's right. We'll look to have the most schools open that we can possibly in 100 days. Congress provides the funding we need. It's not a secret how to do it. Masking, vaccinations, opening schools. These are the three key goals for my first 100 days. But we'll still have much to do in the year ahead. And sadly, much difficulty as well. We'll be far, far from done. Yet, It's possible that after 100 days, we'll be much further along in the fight against this pandemic. And I'm grateful to the members of my COVID team that I'd like to introduce to you now who will lead the way. I'm really proud of this group. For Secretary of Health and Education, I nominated Javier Bacaria. (laughs) You know, Javier Bacaria, excuse me. With Sarah. The Attorney General of California, leading the second largest Justice Department in America, only behind the United States Department of Justice. And for nearly 25 years before that, he was a congressman representing Los Angeles, one of the largest, America's largest and most diverse cities. Javier spent a career fighting to expand access to health care, reducing racial health disparities, protecting the Affordable Care Act and take on powerful special interests to prey on profit off of people's health, from opioid manufacturers to big tobacco. During this pandemic, he'll protect the safety of the frontline healthcare workers. Rooted out the fraud from the bad actors who take advantage of people. And he stood up for homeowners. 
trying to pay their mortgages during this devastating economic crisis. There are things he's already fought for and accomplished in many cases. And as secretary, HHS secretary, he will skillfully oversee the CDC and the FDA, Medicare and Medicaid. No matter what happens in the Supreme Court, he'll lead our efforts to build on the Affordable Care Act. He'll work to dramatically expand coverage and take bold steps to lower health care prescription drug costs. Javier is a key leader who lead a, a key agency charged with protecting the health and wellness of the American people. He's also the first Latino leading HHS, the son of a working family class, working class immigrant family that came from Mexico, a true public servant who's dedicated his career in the service of the people in the service of this country that we all love. To serve as coordinator of the COVID-19 response team, I'm turning a world-class manager and leader. I've known Jeff for a long time, from the first and last days of the Obama-Biden White House, throughout the campaign, and now the transition. There's no one else you'd want to help manage some of the most consequential and complex priorities of a country. Director of National Economic Council for President Obama, acting director for the Office of Management and Budget. He's there, was there during the Great Recession as he went from crisis to recovery to resurgence in eight years. He was there to lead the team and help implement the Affordable Care Act and get healthcare.gov up and working at a critical moment. That was a monumental feat that required vision, patience, experience, fortitude, and real expertise. Well-respected across the aisle and around the country, from business to labor leaders to entrepreneurs to educators. Chairman of the board of the Children's National Medical Center, one of the world's top children's hospitals, Jeff knows how to build and lead a team, how to identify and solve problems, and how to fully mobilize the federal government on behalf of the health, safety, and prosperity of the American people. Jeff Zients, thank you for being willing to do this again. The Surgeon General of the United States, I nominate a man who could do any of these jobs, I think, but Dr. Vivek Murthy. He worked with me for a long time. He's a renowned physician and research scientist, a trusted national leader on health care, and for me, a trusted advisor during the campaign and transition. This will be the second time serving as America's doctor, having served in this role under President Obama. <clears throat> During his tenure, he took on some of the most pressing public health issues we face. <clears throat> Excuse me, from the opioid crisis to threats to America's mental health. I've asked Dr. Murthy to serve again as Surgeon General, but with expanded responsibilities. He will be a key public voice on the COVID response to restore public trust and faith in science and medicine. One of the reasons, Doc, I ask you to do this, when you speak, people listen. They trust you. You have a way of communicating. They can just see it in your eyes. I mean it sincerely. It's a really, really important thing to be communicated now when people are in so much doubt. It'll also be a key advisor to me and help lead all government approach to broader public health issues. We've talked a lot about the need to vastly increase the focus on mental health in the country, addiction and substance use disorders, social and environmental 
detriments to health and much more. So I'm really looking forward and thank you for doing this. Above all, I believe, I believe as well as any person I've ever worked with, Vivek can help restore faith in this country as a place of possibilities. The son of Indian immigrants who raised their children to always believe in the promise of America. Dr. Murthy will be one of my most trusted public health and medical advisors, and I'm grateful, and I mean it sincerely, I'm grateful for your willingness to continue to stay in public service. And for director of the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, and prevention, I might add, I appoint Rochelle Walensky. She's a chief infectious disease. She's chief of infectious disease at one of the country's most preeminent hospitals, Massachusetts General in Boston, a distinguished professor at Harvard Medical School and a world-class physician, one of the nation's foremost experts on testing, treatment, and eradication of viruses. She has served on the, on the front lines on the COVID crisis. She's conducted groundbreaking research on vaccine delivery, including how to reach underserved communities that are too often hit first hardest and treat it last. Dr. Olinsky's work was instrumental in helping the world mitigate the public health crisis of HIV AIDS. It inspired her as a young doctor to pursue her pioneering research in virus containment. Now she'll bring her expertise to bear against COVID-19. She's uniquely qualified to restore morale and public trust. She'll marshal our finest scientists and public health experts at CDC to turn the tide on this urgent crisis we're facing today. Because of the pandemic's disproportionate impact on communities of color, I concluded that I wanted, we needed a COVID-19 equity task force. To chair that, to chair it, I appoint Dr. Marcella Nunez-Smith, one of the country's foremost experts on health care disparities. Associate Professor of Medicine and Public Health and Management at Yale School of Medicine, founding director of Yale's Equity Research and Innovation Center, and co-chair of my COVID-19 Transition Advisory Board. Dr. Nunez-Smith will lead our efforts to provide care to the communities most in need and most affected by the pandemic and often overlooked. She'll ensure that fairness and equity are at the center of every part of our response. This is a central front in our fight against this pandemic, and I'm grateful Dr. Nunez-Smith will lead this charge. And finally, as both head of my National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease and my chief medical advisor on COVID-19, I'm pleased to say that Dr. Tony Fauci will be a member of my COVID team. By now, Tony needs, Dr. Fauci needs no introduction. But he'll have my gratitude when I'm president, the seventh president he will have served. We know each other and we've known each other for a long time. And I'm so grateful when I called him almost before I asked, he said yes. I've seen him take on HIV AIDS, H1N1, Ebola, Zika, COVID-19, and every infectious disease in between over his nearly 40 years of service to our country. Dr. Fauci is trusted, a truth teller, a patriot. Like every good doctor, he 
He'll tell me what I need to know, not what I want to know. What I need to know, not what I want to know. This is my core COVID health care team. Before January 20th, we'll be adding more leaders to oversee vaccine distribution, the supply chain, testing, and other key functions. To each of you on this team, you have my gratitude, and I mean that. You have my gratitude for answering the call to serve. And to your families, I know many of you are making real sacrifices to do this. Thank you. And to your families, I say thank you directly. We couldn't do this without them or without you, the families, supporting this. And to the American people, I know we've all had a lot of sleepless nights this year. So many of you staring at the ceiling tonight, worrying, my God, what happens? What happens? It strikes my family. What happens if I lose my insurance? What happens? Am I going to be okay? Is my family going to be okay? All I can tell you is the truth. We're in a very dark winter. Things may well get worse before they get better. A vaccine may soon be available. We need to level with one another. It'll take longer than we would like to distribute it to all corners of the country, depending on how it gets started off between now and the time I'm sworn in. We'll need to persuade enough Americans to take the vaccine. Many of them have become very cynical about it. its usefulness. It's daunting. But I promise you that we'll make progress starting on day one. We didn't get into this mess quickly. It's going to take time to fix. But we can do this. That's the truth. And telling you the truth is what this team, Vice President-elect Harris and I, will always do. Give it to you straight from the shoulder, as Roosevelt used to say. This is the toughest challenge America has ever faced. One of the toughest. We know that we can overcome and heal together as one nation. To all of you on the front lines, the healthcare professionals, first responders, grocery store workers, delivery truck drivers, educators, parents, our children, I say thank you. We can do this. We can do this. I want to thank you for everything you've done to get us through this crisis so far. We're never going to give up on you, I promise you. And we'll never give up on our country. We can do this. There's nothing we've ever failed to do when we've decided to do together. Together. That's America. To all those who have lost in this pandemic, all those who are sick and suffering, our hearts go out to you. Many of us know what it's like. May God bless you all. And may God protect our troops. Thank you for listening. Now I'd like to turn it over to the team, starting with our next Secretary of Health and Human Service, Javier Sarah. Javier, thank you for being willing to take on the responsibility. Now that sounds like a Along with president. Carolina, my wife, and Natalia, Olivia, Clarissa, and Ivan, uh, greetings from California. Mr. President-elect, Madam Vice President-elect, I am honored and excited to join your team. The mission of the Department of Health and Human Services has never been as vital or as urgent as it is today. The COVID pandemic and its economic fallout have thrust families into crisis. Too many Americans are sick or have lost loved ones. 
Too many have lost their jobs and with that, their health care and hope. You have made it clear, Mr. President-elect, that to build back a prosperous America, we need a healthy America. That then will be job one for your team at HHS. 55 years ago, during another time of hardship, former health secretary and fellow Californian, John Gardner said, what we have before us are some breathtaking opportunities disguised as insoluble problems. Gardner went on to help President Lyndon Johnson build the Great Society, ushering in Medicare, Medicaid, and civil rights that brought greater equity, greater opportunity, and greater hope to all Americans. Now it's our turn to discover the breathtaking opportunities before us in the midst of this hardship and pain. It's our turn to build up and to back up our doctors and medical professionals, our hospitals and clinics battling the coronavirus. Our turn to restore faith and confidence in our leaders, to deliver solutions that unite and heal us and inoculate us from fear. Our turn to spur our brightest minds to launch the next generation of innovative medicines and cures. And it is our turn to build a nation where, as the president-elect so often says, healthcare is a right, not a privilege. At HHS, tackling pandemics, saving lives, keeping us healthy should be our calling card. And we won't forget that there is a second H in HHS, the human services, the work we do for our children, seniors, and disabled. They will stand tall in a Biden-Harris HHS. Almost a year ago, on New Year's Day, my father Manuel passed away peacefully at home surrounded by his family. We got to celebrate Christmas together. And when the end came, my dad knew we were there with him. No one, no one should ever have to die alone in a hospital bed. Loved ones forced to stay away. That seems so contrary to the values of a great nation. The values that drew my parents like generations before and after them, to come to America. Manuel and Maria Teresa had only their health and hope when they arrived in California. A road construction worker with a sixth grade education and a clerical worker who arrived in her teens from Guadalajara, Jalisco, Mexico. As they helped build a better California, they built a pretty good partnership that lasted 67 years. And while they never got to experience the inside of a college, they did send their four kids there, as well as to the military. Now, President-elect Biden has offered me a breathtaking opportunity to work with his team to shape our healthcare future. I share the President-elect and Vice President-elect's determination to rebuild unity and civility in America. We know it takes hard work. We know we must do it together. We know it will be key to building critical momentum and support for the prevention and treatment of the coronavirus. Those values and priorities will help us emerge from this pandemic a stronger, more just, and more equitable nation. Literally, there are millions of small business owners and tens of millions of workers who are counting on us. I am proud to have this chance to implement the President-elect's vision for a better America through the challenging assignments that are in store for the Department of Health and Human Services. Mr. President-elect, Madam Vice President-elect, thank you for this opportunity to serve. They're going to go on and on and on making speeches. And I'm 
sure they're all worth listening to. But it's going to take them. Mr. President elect. Maybe Madam another hour to finish or Thank longer. Thank you for your trust and your confidence. I bring greetings and thanks also from my grandmother, Sarojini, my mother and father, Maitreyi and Haragiri Murthy, from my sister, Rashmi, and brother in law, Amit, and from my dear wife, Alice, and my dear children, Tejas and Shanti. We thank you for this opportunity to serve. Oh, we, we will when have When I left to, my role as Surgeon General, we'll have to stop there and move on from the, the Biden team that Biden introduces nominees for his health care team, NBC News, on YouTube. That was for today, December the 8th. We, we heard over 30 minutes of it, but they will go on for a long time. So we need to move on to other hot topics. This is our Hot Topic Tuesday. Okay, what is Roland Martin saying today? Oh, Biden pick. Biden picks retired General Lloyd Austin to be his Secretary of Defense. And then there's a long program he posted, Warnock. And Loeffler spar at debate. Kentucky no-knock warrant. Another long show. John Ossoff. Gold TV. Georgia rally. Kamala Harris. Hmm. Well, let's hear some of his oh we'll come back to him because he will take a long 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 time let's see if we can find S-T-E-P-H-E-N Stephen G a-R-D-N-E-R. Stephen Gardner. Stephen Gardner. He should be happy today. Ten hours ago, stimulus check two and seconds package update. Let's see what he's going to say. with President Trump about stimulus checks and how the stimulus checks would help the American people and how stimulus checks would boost the American economy. Hello and welcome to today's December 8th, 
second stimulus check update and second stimulus package update. Senator Hawley and others are saying they will reject the most recent stimulus bill if it does not have stimulus checks. The state of Texas has sued four of the five swing states over constitutional law changes. If you're a subscribed member of my community, then welcome back. And if you're not, consider subscribing right now. All right. Um, now, don't forget that uh, I'm doing the Christmas cash giveaway. I'm going to help 100, uh, excuse me, I'm going to help 20 families with $100. Uh, that ends this Friday. I will leave a link below. Okay, now Congress must draft and vote on a stimulus bill and a federal spending bill before they leave Washington, D.C. this Friday evening. Now, I told you that Nancy Pelosi has said she wants to see a stimulus deal pushed through with the large government spending omnibus bill. However, that bill needs to be passed first. As of right now, Congress is set to start voting on the floor this coming Wednesday, December the 9th, so tomorrow. Once that passes, they will be able to focus on the stimulus package, stimulus amount, and how that money will be spread throughout the U.S. economy. There have been talks of the main senators or House of Representative uh, negotiators staying until December 18th in order to accomplish the stimulus bill. However, each time this has been said that they will stay behind, they have gone home. <laughs> so hopefully they will keep their word this time, uh, but their track record leaves a lot of doubt in my mind. <laughs> now, there may be a silver lining to the dark cloud that rests over the United States. Many representatives are saying that a stimulus check must be included or this bill has no chance of passing to which Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said, if the White House and others want this, he will let it be part of the vote. Now, I don't want to get my community's hopes up. I'm just sharing with you what I've been researching all morning uh, that is in the news. Remember yesterday, I told you that uh, Vermont Senator uh, Bernie Sanders vowed to reject any bill without stimulus checks and would be working to get others to back him on getting those thrown in to this current stimulus bill. Uh, probably the biggest news right now is Missouri Republican Senator Josh Howley, I hope I said that correctly, is not happy about the missing stimulus checks in this bill and said Trump should actually reject the stimulus bill if checks are not included. Now, this is interesting because according to sources, Senator Howley had a direct conversation with President Trump about this matter and said the president listened intently while he explained the need and the benefit of a second stimulus check. It's always nice to see that this was a real conversation instead of just pinging each other on Twitter with tweets. So this was an actual conversation. Now, when asked what Senator Hawley said, he said that he told the president, I think it's vital that any relief include direct stimulus payments, and I'm not going to vote for it if it doesn't. And I also urged him to veto any bill that did not have direct payments in it. So 
Now we have somebody pleading with the president directly for checks and threatening to use his vote to reject this upcoming bill if it does not include direct stimulus checks to the people. So go, go Senator Hawley, right? Whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, it's nice to have somebody fighting in your corner. Now, Senator Hawley also said we had a good conversation about it and, you know, a pretty thorough conversation. He asked a number of questions about the state of play of the different proposals. And I think it's fair to say that he was surprised at the direction that some of these were headed. So like President Trump was like blown away, like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Why are you doing such a small bill? I thought you guys were working on a bigger bill. I thought it had stimulus checks. So uh, Senator Hawley let him know, hey, listen, this is what's actually being proposed. You need to step in. Lastly, Senator Hawley said President Trump understands that Americans are hurting and need relief, which is why the White House continues to engage with those in congressional leadership who are serious about moving quickly to approve billions in aid. Hawley said, in his opinion, stimulus checks should be seen as a cornerstone to this bill and not as something too expensive. So I, it's just so nice to hear somebody saying this because, you know, we were all promised a second check all the way back in the spring. Now, Senator John Thune received a lot of pushback because he said stimulus checks could be done if the money for state and local government was dropped. Now, it was the Democrats that obviously uh, pushed back on Senator Thune because they, they want that. That that was the biggest uh hang up before the election with Nancy Pelosi, right? And then on their end, the biggest hang up was they didn't want all the liability protection. Now Thune said, I will tell you that they probably pick up a lot of support for uh, this bill if you subbed out the state and local money and made those payments directly to individuals instead of state and local government. We'll lose a lot of votes on our side just on the $160 billion they are talking about for state and local government, okay? So he's saying, listen, the Republicans, uh, for the most part, don't want to just throw billion, hundreds of billions of dollars at state or, or local government, especially when data shows that many states have actually brought in more tax revenue than they did the previous fall. So there, he is pushing back on that, but, but he, he, you know, of course, again, the two sides are, are blaming each other. Now, Representative Talib and Elizabeth Warren also came out and said a bill without checks isn't worth passing. Warren said direct checks are an excellent way to get money into the hands of people who desperately need it. Senator Hawley then said something I think everyone in my community has either felt or thought at some point. He said, we don't have money left over for people. We can give it to state governments, to businesses, but we don't have money for people. I just think that's crazy. Now, I can tell you for one, I have thought that probably a hundred times. So it was nice to have a government representative get into my mind and say out loud what I've been thinking. And I'll bet what you've been thinking as well. So let me know in the comments what you think with more and more senators and state representatives coming out saying a stimulus check must be included. Do you think they will add a stimulus check onto this stimulus relief?
We only have maybe four, four minutes, roughly. Let's try for Erica, attorney Erica Kahlberg. She may not say anything if they don't have an agreement. She doesn't say much unless they have. stimulus check deadline I want you to be aware of so please put a thumbs up on this video so that YouTube will show so that was people. November 20th that's old video okay then she's not she's not speaking yet about this apparently not not yet she waits until she has their signatures, <laughs> signatures and copies of their transcripts. She goes strictly by their documents. All right, this not going to reveal anything. Maybe Lawrence, December 2nd, this is the last one, Lawrence O'Donnell, maybe this one. Sending. It's a scam. It's a hoax. Everybody knows that. And the Democrats know it better than anybody else. So you're going to need nine justices up there. You're going to need nine justices up there, meaning he was going to need nine justices up there to outlaw millions of mail-in ballots. That's what he was saying he was going to ask them to do, and he did. That's Donald Trump saying, I know I'm going to lose the election with voters. But once I bring a case to the United States Supreme Court to throw out millions of mail-in ballots, that's how I'll win my second term as president of the United States. 
Donald Trump planned to do that. Donald Trump thought it was in the bag because he put three of those justices on the Supreme Court. Today, the United States Supreme Court refused to even consider, even hear or consider a case brought to invalidate millions of mail-in ballots in Pennsylvania. Donald Trump was expecting his United States Supreme Court to issue an historic opinion invalidating Pennsylvania's mail-in ballots. And instead, instead, he got this, <laughs> this piece of paper. I'm not sure if the light can show you this correctly, but it's this tiny little piece of print right here. That's the 